Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with Women in ETFs. We get together every other week with the smartest women in this industry and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy, here with my colleague, Laura Krigger. Hello, everyone. And this week, we are diving in the advisory business. Joining us is Catherine Schwartz, who also goes by Katie. Um, Katie's founder and CEO of Polly's Investment Advisors, and she also manages two equity funds. Welcome, Katie. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here and looking forward to our conversation. <laughs> We're excited, too. Um, let's start uh, from the beginning. You started an advisory firm back in 2010, so we have about 10 years going. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to enter the advisory business and why did you decide to go the independent route, start your own? Sure. So I started in the business actually back in 1992 and was fortunate to work for large broker-dealer firms and predominantly in management roles. And subsequent to that, I had the opportunity to work for a startup company where I helped them do a small initial public offering of stock. But that combined experience of having worked um, with the bigger broker dealers and working with a startup, you know, that really gave me the knowledge I needed to run my own firm. And the reason I chose a registered investment advisory firm as the structure um, from which to service clients is because I believe the fiduciary role is the, it, it, it's just the best way in which to serve clients. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been 10 years going now mm-hmm. and I started from scratch from zero And when I first started, I really wanted to put myself in a position where clients could hold me accountable for investment performance. And so I had two stock portfolios structured, one more dividend focused and one more oriented towards growth. And um, I actually had the opportunity to formalize those and launch those as Reg D Rule 506 private funds. And that's been a really key component um, to my ability to grow the business. Hmm. When you say a key component, how do you mean? Well, again, I'm, I'm big on accountability. Um, my father taught me that. And I wanted to be in a position where my clients could hold me accountable for the investment results. And, you know, if you go to a larger firm, um, one of my college roommates works for Morgan Stanley and, you know, she and I have a similar philosophy, but if you go into another Morgan Stanley office, another advisor, you're going to probably have a completely different experience. And so I wanted to put my firm in a position where we had a very defined investment process that would deliver repeatable results and um, we publish those results. And that way, when people come to interview us, to hire us, we're able to talk about that. And it's something that's pretty unique in the space. Before we, you know, you speak to a lot of, of family offices and we want to dive into the space a little bit. But before we go there, you know, we're just curious. Um, there's still not a lot of women run, women led advisory RIAs out there, advisory businesses. Um, have you found that to be a particular challenge? Have you found that to be an advantage to be 
you know, uh, a woman running this business? How has that impacted the growth of, of your firm in the last 10 years? Well, I think a lot of people are talking more about ESG investing and they're recognizing the value in having a more, you know, especially when it comes to family offices, they want a more diversified portfolio, if you will, of managers running their money. And so, you know, they definitely um, they, they definitely pay a little bit more attention to someone who is a little bit different. But at the end of the day, most of them are going to go for, you know, good, consistent performance, a defined process, repeatable results. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. That's the, the holy grail of any investment opportunity, right, is, is um, right. good performance and repeatable good performance for sure. Um, so have you found that uh, as you are speaking with clients, uh, reaching out to clients, have you found that um, you being a woman in a position of authority in terms of um, you know investing experience and so on and so forth, like has that been an asset to you? Are you able to reach out to different types of clients and 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 gain their trust and um, you know connect with a different uh, you know investor base um, than you know maybe you might have done at a at a big broker dealer or so on? Like, has it been an asset to be a woman led startup firm for you? I would say yes, and um, a lot of a lot of money flows to women ultimately. I mean, we know that women tend to outlive men. Um, and whether it's, you know, whatever the change in a family structure, whatever is causing that, a lot of the money ends up flowing to the women. And I have a number of examples where I've had clients come to me and say, yes, my husband and I used to go to our advisor and the advisor would speak to him and not speak to me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> for that reason, well, and I, I mean, it's, it's true. Unfortunately, I think it's changed. I think it's, you know, I think it's shifting. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's unfortunately, it's a common story that I hear. And so, you know, that comes back to really, at the end of the day, that comes back to just giving good customer service to someone, no matter who they are. Right. And so I think, you know, if whether you're a male or a female advisor, if you're not, you know, delivering a consistent, great service experience for clients, you're going to, you're going to struggle. Well, words to live by for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, so let's talk about the landscape that you, you know, live in every day. Um, Advisors today and being an investment advisor is an increasingly challenging job from the perspective of shrinking compensation, um, more competition from you know, robo-advisors and different platforms trying to vie for that, you know, more static asset allocation type of dollars to do it yourselfers. Um, 2020 has been a tough year to begin with. Um, it is all just a big challenging landscape. How are you navigating this? How do you see these challenges? Do you think it's an industry that is in flux? Is it reinventing itself? Is it well positioned for the challenges it faces? What's your perspective? 
That's a great question, Cynthia. And you know, when I when I started the firm back in 2010, I I kind of went back and forth with the question of whether or not to have a physical office space, and I chose to not have a physical office space. So, you know, I have two guys who work for me. We all work from home virtually. Um, we're used to being able to meet physically with clients face to face, which you know we haven't been doing that you know, this year, obviously, but we've always been cloud-based. Um, and, you know, we're used to working in this environment, but what we're finding is that during this time, families are kind of hunkered down and, you know, we've all kind of slowed down life and most of us are reevaluating our priorities and I just spoke this just just on Saturday, I spoke with a potential new client. And what she said to me was, you know, my husband and I have been sitting at home and we're really reevaluating things. And we want to make sure that we have a rock solid retirement in our future. And this is someone who's they're in their early 30s and they've typically been do it yourselfers. But what she said to me was, we know we need a professional to help us navigate this, this current landscape. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's a really noisy space with all, you know, we've got robo advisors, the products are always kind of, you know, slightly evolving and, you know, being packaged in different ways. But at the end of the day, um, especially when things get tough, people recognize the value of having a professional. Mm -hmm. But from, from that perspective, I mean, it's, uh, it sounds like a really daunting task actually to differentiate yourself, to stand out, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, how do you reach these potential new clients when there's what, like we estimate look, 30,000 RIAs in the country. Um, so it's uh, it is like you put a noisy space. So what is the best way to really stand out there and make sure you're being heard and your perspective is out there? Another great question, Cynthia. And I, I've talked about accountability. And for us, um, that's what we come back to. Um, our process of managing equities, which is really the core of our business, we're buying stock um, in companies that have little or no debt and good, consistent earnings and cash flow. And, you know, we have representation in all sectors at all times. We're not trying to time the market. But um, we're trying to get the sort of cream of the crop. And it's funny now, during 2020, I've had a few clients say, gosh, Katie, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about the importance of having stocks with little or no debt. And you've said that for you know the past 10 years. But that being said, we've also um, taken the opportunity. Uh, we started adding to equities for clients back in late February. Um, and we actually just used the the SPY, the spider ETF. Um, now 2020 was unique. There are different interpretations to this. We had sort of a sagging, but I would say not inverted yield curve. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, the leading economic indicators were still rising, but anytime we're in that environment and we have a 15% pullback in the market, we will add to equities for clients. So we started adding in late February. We also did it back in 2015 and back in 2011. And, you know, for us, that's what makes us stand out is, you know, credibility and building trust. 
and getting people to avoid making those emotional decisions, which as advisors, we all, you know, face that challenge of getting people to be more objective in their process. But um, whatever it is, it's, you've got to just, you know, be yourself and stand to what you're, you know, stick with what you're good at. Sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of the reason to use an advisor in the first place. You just summed it up right there is, is like buying the dip and maintaining that discipline, even in the face of kind of overwhelming chaos <laughs> from the market. I'm not it's sure right. that, um, you know, point, yeah. many individuals would be able to do that on their own without having somebody kind of being their their therapist, their financial therapist, and helping them make it through uh, that decision for sure. Um, earlier in the call, uh, in in our conversation, uh, Katie, you mentioned that you speak with a lot of family offices, and this is a uh, an area that I think is is kind of quickly evolving too. Like, how is the family office model changing? In your opinion, how is it evolving? Um, especially now that the, you know, the pandemic has sort of changed everything, right? Yeah. So, you know, back in, uh, back in 2009, many family offices pulled all their investment management sort of back in house. Um, they wanted to do their own due diligence in selecting managers. Um, also the number of family offices formed has you know skyrocketed. And, you know, over the past handful of years, they've, they've been seeking out more complex investments just to kind of diversify their overall portfolios. But as we saw in March, you know, there was just this rush to raise cash and this indiscriminate selling across all asset classes, high quality, low quality, everything just, you know, there was this rush to raise cash. And so now, um, especially, you know, family offices and individuals, I would say, are really reevaluating the overall quality of what they have because investments didn't, they didn't, they didn't behave in the way that a lot of people expected. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's been an overall sort of drift down in the overall um, rating of corporate debt, which is concerning. And I think people are finally starting to look and say, you know what, we've got to stick with high quality because with what's happening today, I like to say, I say it again and again with clients, what's happening today, yes, there are companies that will go out of business. Um, there are companies that will struggle and will survive but the most important message I would say is like right now, today, strong companies are only going to get stronger. Mm -hmm. The things that we're seeing, the way people are doing business differently, it's just amazing. And I would also add on the medical front, the process with which the science is, is advancing is just, to me, it's mind boggling. And for anyone that thinks that, you know, I think Warren Buffett said, don't ever bet against America, but don't ever bet against like humanity because there are super smart people doing work on the medical front. And we're going to see, I think we're going to see solutions more quickly than most people anticipate. Mm -hmm. Do you find any pushback to this, um, this idea? I mean, the idea of owning quality companies, good fundamentals, strong cash flow and earnings, all that. 
it seems like such a good way to live life in general, right? Uh, What's the the pushback? Is it a matter of valuations? Are these usually pricier investments, uh, stocks or portfolios? Is it, uh, you know, are you leaving growth potential on the table because, you know, in theory, they're a little bit less risky? What's Mm -hmm. the, the pushback you get from clients on that? Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, our dividend portfolio is, you know, we concentrate the portfolios. We're holding in the dividend portfolio ten to twelve names at any given time. They're all big blue chip companies that you know they're not very sexy. They're not very exciting. But last year the fund was up forty percent. Wow! And so you know. At the end of the day, when people, yeah, I mean, the market was up, what, 25. So that's a big beat. And it's hard to, it's hard to deliver those kind of numbers in the big sort of large cap space, just because there's so much information available. Um, you know, our growth fund is a little more, it's much more aggressive and the, it's it's a much bouncier ride, I'll say. But, you know, when people see the numbers and you really start to talk to them about, look, you know, I, the last time I looked in the S&P 500, there were only like, don't, and don't quote me on this exactly, but maybe, I don't know, 20 companies that had no debt out of 500. And so when you really start to peel back the layers of like, you know, just the overall market and show people, you know, what some of the differences are and, you know, it's still, it takes a lot of work. It's not just going and finding stocks that don't have debt and have good earnings growth and cash flow. Like it takes a lot of work to, you know, construct and manage these portfolios. But I hear it again and again, people say, well, gosh, it sounds so simple. Why doesn't everybody do it? Well, <laughs> it's, I mean, there are a number of different ways to make money in the market, but it's at the end of the day, I think having a consistent repeatable process as an advisor, whether it's in your portfolio management side or in how you deliver service to clients, I think that is like probably the most important formula to be successful in this business. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think a, a year like 2020 has, you know, not only reminded us of the importance of discipline in investing, sticking to your goals, but it also shown us just the appetite for kind of the opportunistic investing, you know, the the narrow spots where you can maybe, you know, make a quick buck. And and I'm sure everyone is susceptible to both. And it's really, as the advisor, I imagine the the challenge is to keep everyone focused on the longer term goals, right? Which can be difficult in, in a time like this. And it also can be difficult, you know, when the market's like back in, you know, February 19th, the market's hitting all time highs. And so it's hard to get people to, you know, things get really quiet when things are going well. And as an advisor, that's when I worry the most. I welcome the downside volatility because I know that's my opportunity to really help people make good decisions, good, important decisions I like the way you think about that. You know, a lot of people see uh, downside volatility as a um, as a, a challenge or an obstacle or something to overcome, but seeing it as an as an opportunity in and of itself is, you know, 
encouraging. But it, and and it's and, and I'm sorry to talk over you, but it's so important, especially right now, when people are worried about their health, they're worried about their financial situation, their family, their kids' financial situation, their you know their adult children's financial situation. But, you know, now is the time when, you know, you almost take off the kind of portfolio manager hat and you're more of, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but I had, I had one client call me and she literally said, Katie, what if I lose everything? And it's like that, that, you know, it's an irrational thought, but it's so, you know, rooted in people because, you know, they just don't know their emotions just, you know, that fight or flight, the amygdala kicks in and it's just an incredibly stressful thing for people to go through and to be able to bring them back in and get them to kind of get re-centered with a little bit of reason is just such, it's, it's probably aside from protecting their portfolios during difficult times, but just helping them calm down and, and just come back to a, a more, a more realistic view of what's happening. Well, so in the last few minutes that we have, um, I wanted to ask you that given the, the past 10 years, actually, I mean, given your entire career, right? Is there a piece of advice you wish you could give yourself when you were just starting out, you know, maybe, a uh, a, a do this or a don't do this to prevent some heartache along the way? Yeah. So that's a gr- another great question. Um, you know, there was, and so in terms of like structuring the business and like, I think again, having some accountability, some structure in place from the beginning will be helpful to anyone. The one thing that I struggled with was, um, and I've kind of gone back and forth on this issue, but you know, as I've mentioned, I've got a very defined portfolio management process and, invariably you have clients who say, Hey, can you look at this stock? I think maybe I want to buy some of this stock and add it to my portfolio. And, you know, initially I wanted to push back on that and it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because if the stock, if you tell, if you say no, and the stock does well, right. Um, you've, you've, cause the client to miss an opportunity. And if you say yes, and the stock doesn't do well when it was kind of outside your guidelines anyway, it's not, it's not a good outcome, but um, you know, I, I, again, I've gone back and forth on it, but what I finally kind of came to realize is that this is a wonderful opportunity as long as it's not something, you know, a cannabis stock or like something super speculative, Bitcoin, I would not advocate that. But as long as it's a reasonable idea that a client's saying, hey, can we do this? I think it's a great thing to incorporate into the portfolio because what it does is it 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 engages the clients, it keeps them interested in investing, and it gives you the opportunity to help them learn a little bit more about investing, which I always say people you know, yeah, you have me to manage your portfolio, but you should know enough just to, you know, know that I'm doing a good job for you. And so, you know, in the, the advice that I would give to anyone who's getting started or just trying to like up their game or revisit things is, you know, as I said, hold yourself accountable for your processes, your portfolio management process and your client experience process. But at the end of the day, the single most important thing is to 
structure all of that so that you can be yourself Mm -hmm. and, you know, stick to that, stick to what's important to you, what your values are. And of course, stay open. You've always got to be learning and question your assumptions. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to just be yourself and stick to what you think is important for clients. I love that. Trust yourself, right? To thine own time, be true, right? I love it. Um, so unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was a great conversation. I love I loved hearing what you had to say. Laura, Cynthia, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. For more info on RIAs uh, or any topics about ETFs or to catch the next episode, please visit us at ETF.com. And for more information on how to get involved in Women in ETFs, please visit WomenInETFs.com. You can write to us with your questions, comments, and thoughts at ETF Working Lunch. That's all one word at ETF.com. On behalf of myself, Cynthia Murphy, and the rest of the ETF.com team, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.